I've got two disclaimers to add to this interview with Elizabeth Munt. Number one is it is uh, sensitive material, so definitely be wary of who is listening. If you've got kids nearby, maybe it's time to pop some earbuds in or possibly to listen later. Also, wanting to uh, stress that these views here expressed in the interview, Elizabeth is representing her own personal views and not the views of Selwyn Council. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show with Natalie Cutler-Welsh here on Reality Check Radio. And today it's all about keeping kids safe and empowering kids. And I'm talking now with Elizabeth Mund. And Elizabeth is in Selwyn in New Zealand. She's a mother of three. She's been a foster mom to nine kids during her lifetime, formerly as a group leader. She's been working with autistic, trauma, and high-needs kids, and she's currently a counselor for the Selwyn District Council. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really um, excited and kind of not nervous, but this is a huge topic that we're talking about. We've been diving into keeping kids safe for a, a few interviews now, and the reason I'm so I think it's so critical to have you on my show is we're going to get a little bit nitty nitty gritty today. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that is a little uncomfortable, but it's things that parents need to know about. Um, so before we dive into that, I'd love to know, given your background and all the work you've done, how has that, your background impacted you and your views on keeping kids safe? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Working with um, my foster children in my early years, when my own before I had children, I fostered, and then after when my own children were little, I fostered. Was it was a real eye opener into the kind of environments that some kids are exposed to when they're young and growing up, and fostering them was an opportunity to bring them into a world in which they were in a real safe place and in a in a place where they're protected and they're able to really. Um, just be nurtured and grow and be kids again. And that was one of the things that was really fundamental to me in that time was understanding that kids that are in high-pressure environments, they don't get to be children. They don't have that opportunity to just play and, and just be themselves. They're in such high-stress environments. They're often having to actually be the parent and be the responsible one in the home because usually in those environments, the parents are the children uh, and the parents are not responsible. Um, and it just really opened my heart and my mind to the way some people live and the fact that our community um, doesn't encourage necessarily um, or, or bring about a, a, a real safe place for parents who are struggling to come out into the community and get the help they need um, and, and be embraced by the community, you know, in a way that really fosters and encourages parents because we kind of have a do this, do that. But what people really need is to get to the heart of where they're at and why they're there. And working with high needs and trauma kids, it just really emphasises the the, the lifelong effects of trauma on a person. So if you're a child that's grown up in a trauma environment, then you carry that through your life often um, and then you become a, an adult with trauma. And so what we see and in, in, in what we're going to talk about today is that a trauma is often at the heart of people's dysfunction or their thought processes 
or their desire to be somebody different and to not accept who they are and not to be in love with who they are as a person. And I mean, I think that's one of the goals really as a parent and a member of society is to empower kids and everybody to love who they are. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is people are being encouraged right these days to question who they are really early on. Yeah, to question and um, so outside of the, the the trauma homes, the kids that make bad decisions, obviously they come from really good homes. There's different reasons. I mean, obviously teenagers usually have a wee bit of a rebellious streak, etc. But often there's that real sense of finding a place of belonging. Kids just want to belong. People just want to belong. They want to be accepted for who they are. We have um, quite a we, we talk about the tall, tall poppy syndrome here in New Zealand. But even what we have in in a school space is we talk about strong bullying. Yes, New Zealand is actually um, probably a a forerunner in the grounds of bullying. We have quite a a judgmental society here, uh, not always accepting of different people, different values, different cultures. And we, we talk about being open to that. But uh, often what is said and what is done are two different things. And so kids often find that it's hard to fit in and and not be compared to other kids. And then that leads them down that whole road of comparing themselves to the influences of the world. You know, girls are often looking at, you know, the whole Kardashian movement. Uh, I call it the Kardashian movement. That's just a subtitle for it. But, you know, my body's not perfect. Well, look at the Kardashians. They were already beautiful. What have they done? They've spent millions of dollars on plastic surgery and designer this and and, and everything else that comes with that whole um, being the world's most beautiful. Um, And that just paints a real picture that even they weren't beautiful enough and even they needed to spend that money and focus on this area of their lives. And, And that's a real shame because perfect, it's not an achievable goal for anyone. And we just want to really bring in this and usher this culture in of you are loved the way you are. And um, and that's a real big thing that I want to promote today. I agree. And I'm also concerned about what I'm going to call deception. I mean, even some of you go onto Instagram and they show you these before and after with makeup, you know, the contouring. Yeah. And, and the way that some of these girls are showing up looking like, well, models or it's over the top makeup and the contouring. I think it's actually false representation of who you are. I'm, Hey, I'm all for a little bit of makeup and looking like your best self. Um, But I think, you know, deception, people are going to realize, mark my words in the next, you know, few months and the next coming months that they've been deceived in many, many ways. And they're being pressured against what's actually good for them. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to talk about today with what's going on in the schools. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's, let's, I mean, dive in, let me know what are some of the things you're concerned about that you've seen and you've got, I know you've got some statistics to share with us as well today. Yeah. So there's a lot going on in the area of sexualization for kids nowadays, Uh, even more so than in my childhood. Um, We've got Disney introducing the LGB, you know, the rainbow community themes into little kids movies, your programs that are on Netflix that are not really safe for kids. We've just got a real open policy, open door policy to the sexualization content of what's acceptable for children now. And, you know, back in the day, there were standards, but even those standards were, um, they were pushed. So I remember seeing a movie because I was really careful with what my children could see growing up. 
And I remember watching a movie when I was in my early 20s um, and there was a, it, was, it was done by a comedian, you know, he had some funny parts in the movie, but I just turned it off halfway through, you know, it was back in the day when it was a video um, because he had a huge sexual content in the middle of it, but he was able to put it in as a PG because they took the cameras out of the bedroom and had all the thumping, the groaning and the noises, the clothes getting chucked out. So even though you weren't seeing a, a full-on sexual episode, you were ex- being exposed to that. And 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 you can't say, well, the young kids, they don't know what they're seeing. I mean, you're, people are absorbing this. And our human nature is that we're designed to, to be creatures that are, you know, sexual at some point in our lives. So we, we have a, a natural knowledge a little bit of a knowledge of what what things are and 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 that might just be a jigsaw piece that leads into something later on but that was a part of what what we were seeing growing up even in our times was that um sexual content could be smeared in a way so that they could pass it through the grading system but now now it's just an open open book um the kind of content that kids are exposed to is is enormous, and yeah, just want to talk a little bit, I guess, about what what that ha- what's happening. But but these are gateways to the programming of the child's mind. Um, it allows them to become receptive to the incoming changes, particularly from what's happening overseas. Um, yeah, so I'd like to talk a wee bit about um, the rainbow groups that are getting brought into the schools to deliver the sex education and the rainbow youth group meetings. Um, I just want to also really strongly reiterate that I'm not transphobic. I have friends who are gay. I have friends who um, have got a wider reach um, in terms of their partners. Um, This is not a them and us topic. Mm. It's not about that. This is about protecting young minds and allowing kids to be kids. Right, and then they can they can have the freedom to choose what they want as adults without the pressures on them now. So that right now they just they can't, you know, they can't make those decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives. That's what our job as parents is to be, right? And our jobs as society as teachers and people that work with kids is to protect those minds and allow them to just get through to the adult life unscathed untraumatized basically and in a safe place to make the decisions later on when they're ready. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So um, going on with what um, is happening in the schools, um, it isn't just a New Zealand issue. This is a real global issue. Um, yeah, Cause I think, sorry, just jump in, but I think some yeah. people think, Oh, that's in America. It doesn't happen in New Zealand. So because here on RCR, it is a Kiwi radio station, we want to know what is happening in our in our New Zealand schools. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I just want to give a bit of a background into um, where this is coming from initially. So, yep, it's definitely happening in New Zealand schools now. This is not just America. It's been a real strong push from overseas trends, and this is particularly through the UN and connected with the WEF. Um, so the UN has put out a policy. Um, there's a whole lot of information that you can get outside of this, and I'll refer to some of those groups. But Family First with Bob McCroskey's done a lot of work. Ian Wishart's done a lot of work. There's different agencies. Um, yeah, so there's yeah quite a lot of places where you can source that 
a deeper information and really go down and have a look and say, hey, what is in our curriculum and what is in our school policies? What is in these rainbow groups? Bearing in mind that often the cover letter, so to speak, the stuff that you see online is the nice stuff. What's actually in the school books, and I'll talk about that later, that is not coming out on a website. I can tell you that now because anal sex and oral sex is not found on the website, um, but it's found in the schools. And so that's being taught in schools in, in yeah. probably in high school or in lower? Uh, lower, the whole lot. So, yeah, if I, I just flick through my notes here and I'll have a quick look for which page you're up to. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's a massive, the graphic content is really real. Um, not every school will be embracing this wholeheartedly, um, but all it takes is one teacher to put that content into your child's class, which goes into your child's mind. And that's the kind of stuff you can't erase, you know. There's some stuff you just can't unsee. Um, here's some direct quotes from some of the school books, and these are New Zealand books. Um, we are teaching about the establishment of intersex surgeries in the 1960s by John Money. Now, I'm going to go back and talk about John Money in a minute. Uh, in science, a conga can discover variations in puberty, including the role of hormone blockers. Now, these are going into schools, into the primary schools. This is not just high school. Then there's the sexuality roadbook. This is in the New Zealand schools right now. Um, they've got something called roundabout lusty activity cards. This is some. This is the content in the cards. Like I can't even believe this is stuff that I don't even talk about. Having sex intercourse. Well, maybe I talk about that. Uh, touching slash rubbing others' genitals. Seeing the other person's penis or vulva. Touching the breast or nipple underneath the top. Oral sex, male. Oral sex, female. Mutual touching of genitals. In brackets, mutual masturbation. Talking about having sex, in brackets, when, where, and how. Now, these are for the younger kids. This is not the end of high school. This is not the seniors. This is for your young kids in school right now. I'm just mind blown by that. So when you say cards, what is this, uh, like, it, is this tools that the teachers would be given to or is this or is this different groups that are coming in to educate, like outsourced groups coming in? Um, predominantly, I think it's both, but predominantly the outsource, the difference, my understanding, is that the outsourced groups probably don't come under the same uh, restrictions and scrutiny as the teachers. So the outsourced groups are able to come in and they have a wider range of stuff that they can cover probably more freely. But this is a book that has come from a teacher. Uh, it's in a classroom at the moment. And if you've got a teacher who thinks, yeah, let's just run with this. If, I think, again, I, I question, I say, well, what kind of teacher would think this is okay? Um, but there is this real mindset in New Zealand, and I, I face this all the time with people, and they say, well, I trust the government, that they've got the professionals who've got the best at heart, for what's best for New Zealand and if they're saying that this is the right age to teach kids this information then I trust that that's okay um I'm really sorry but maybe they just are wrong on this front and and let's also remember we go back and say well this is a global thing this isn't the New Zealand education system per se this has been brought in from overseas this is what's happening in many countries of the world and the question is why 
Why do they want to sexualize our children young? And that's where I'm going to go back to the John Money and the Kinseys. And we're going to have a look at, at what these are the forefathers of this whole movement. And, you know, you could ask yourself the question, where does the boundary lie? What's okay and what's not? What's acceptable for your kids? What's acceptable to teach kids? And what? how are we going to protect them so they can just be kids? Because you're only a child for a maximum of 18 years of your life. If you live to 88, you've got another 70 years to be an adult to go through all that. So, you know, just we just want them to enjoy being kids without all this pressure. So um, I'll just bring in the United Nations guidelines because this is where this is coming from. It's a part of their Agenda 2030, which is a part of the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, yeah, as much as, uh, you know, certain politicians like to say they don't know anything about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, I work in council. We work with these every day. So this is not a fallacy. This is real world, people. Uh, children between zero and four years must learn, zero and four years old, must learn about masturbation and develop an interest in their own and others' bodies. Next one, children between four and six years of age must learn about masturbation and be encouraged to express their sexual needs and wishes. Children between six and nine years must learn about sexual intercourse, online pornography, and having a secret love and self-stimulation. Six and nine. We are well off puberty with this. This is outrageous. Like if your blood's not boiling now, I don't know what would ever make it. Uh, children between nine and 12 years should have their first sexual experience and learn to use online pornography. Between nine and 12, first sexual experience. You know, I mean, and then obviously before that, we're talking about having a secret love. We're just leading them into a world of pedophilic grooming to be honest and you know I've got friends who've um who've been working in the fields of working with people who've been groomed and sexually abused as children and they understand the minds of pedophiles and they know what that looks like and they said this outlines exactly what a pedophile groomer will do to a child to groom them into a place where they will be quiet and submissive and allow the pedophile to do what they want and you know we, we we hear the talk about minor attracted persons minor attracted persons you know you can jump on a TEDx talk and and hear about the whole it's just their sexual orientation it's not their fault if they are attracted to children we should decriminalize that and allow them to have relationships with children you know what's wrong with that it's not their fault this is how they feel well, let's be honest here. There are times when I've wanted to maybe, you know, hurt violently uh, when I've been very angry with my husband, say, when he did something very wrong and I've been very, very angry. I thought, I'd like to hurt that man. Maybe not husband. Maybe it was my brother when I was young, for example. You know, we get angry. I feel angry. Does that mean it's okay for me to be angry and murder someone? That takes us back to real, early, archaic kind of tribal behaviour. We've moved on from that as a society. We don't want to go back to that caveman mentality where an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because the world's just going to go crazy if we get to that state. 
It's I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump in because there's like a lot of what you're saying. I'm very familiar with, I'm, I've heard about it. I'm very concerned about it, which is why I've got you on for some of our listeners. This will be quite new, meaning they'll be like, I don't even know what grooming is or what did she just say about the Ted talk thing? So just for our listeners, like the Ted talk thing, you were talking about minor attracted persons, which is basically it's called maps. It's like an acronym for, and they're trying to, my understanding, normalize or make it okay for older people like adults to be attracted to a young child or baby, like Mm. crazy. And, but they're trying to normalize it and be like, this is like a natural, this is a sexual identity and it's not your fault. And it's just the way you were born. So they're trying to normalize and groom society to think that, oh, actually that is okay. And we should be inclusive and we shouldn't bully. So they're bringing in the anti-bullying, fusing it together with this UN agenda, United Nations agenda for normalizing pedophilia, essentially. Yeah. And hypersexualization of children. That's what we're talking about. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what is grooming? Good question. I, I, I haven't been groomed. Um, I'm not a groomer. I don't fully understand, but I think we can all fathom that when you're grooming a child, it's a, a slow process because, you know, obviously if, 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 a, if a pedophile just took a child into a room and, and did things to them, the kid's going to go out screaming, crying, and everyone's going to know about it. So they they lull the child into this false sense of security, of trusting them, relationship building, uh, gifting them, honoring them, et cetera, et cetera. So the child becomes, and then it's gradual. And this is my understanding of it because I'm, I'm no expert in, in that field, but from what I've read and, and heard, this is how it sort of progresses, is that the kid develops this and then it's a little bit at a time. And I know that there was a girl who was going through the transition process um, and she'd linked into the rainbow community and they had a lot of online tech talks, right? Um, and she said, one of the things that was really horrendous for her was these people befriended her in the beginning and they were really kind, but then some of them reached out to her, you know, outside of the show one-on-one and they said, oh, can you send us a picture of what you look like? And then eventually it was, can you send me a body part? Like, can I see your nipples or, you know, whatever. And eventually it got really pornographic and very deep and it was getting very, very explicit X-rated stuff. And she said, I don't, I don't want to do this. And they said, well, I'm sorry, but you've given us so much visual content that if you don't keep supplying us with the photos and videos that we're asking from you, then we're going to take this to your school and we're going to show everybody what you've been doing. So that young girl, she was young, uh, was in living in fear, absolute fear from these people. And that's that predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. And and that's what the grooming is. It's, it's a gradual conquest of the person's mind and and getting that submission and you know talking about mats really scary for me was um seeing recently someone did an interview with um some of the greens party that'd been at a protest and marima davidson was at the front and behind her was a person holding the mats flag and i'm like i'm pretty sure that marima being a high profile politician wouldn't have a group of people with her carrying the MAPS flag if she didn't know and understand what that is. So I'd like to ask Marima, if she'd ever like to come on the show, what, what's her knowledge about what MAPS is? Maybe she can give us more of an insight into what that they feel, and maybe as a party or maybe as herself personally, what is this MAPS all about here in New Zealand, minor attracted persons? What is the age limit? You know, if we look back at what happened during Helen Clark's reign, Helen Clark, you know, back in the Georgina Byer days, um, they had a 
a, a bill on the table that they wanted to pass, which was to lower the age of consent in New Zealand to 12 years of age. Mm-hmm. Again, that's prepubescent. Um, that's just not okay in anyone's books. And luckily our politicians were sound of mind back then and that was thrown out. But 12, 12. I mean, I looked at my daughter when she was 12. She just looked like a little child. Little child. I mean, it's absolutely horrific to think that people would think that's okay. I actually thought that had come around again. I mean, well, here's the thing. When we are in a quote unquote state of emergency, the government actually has powers people don't realize to pass bills without going through the proper processes and things like this, like, Hey, let's lower the age of consent from what is it? Is it 16 or 17? 16 here in New Zealand. Right. And why would they want to do that? Well, so they can engage in sexual relations with a younger child because that and then not get arrested basically and not get arrested yeah and have no criminal record exactly so it's, the only people benefiting from this are not the 12 year olds this is the, the the pedophiles basically it's just to protect them it's not protecting the children in any shape or form okay so elizabeth this i mean this is this is pretty nitty-gritty but that's fine i want to go there um a lot of people will be very surprised by this some people will be thinking surely not surely these ladies have it wrong like not in new zealand maybe in america Um, and by the way everyone if you don't know me i am from canada originally and things are pretty tragic and pretty dire over there in a number of ways um, as well so what we're doing today is trying to alert people to what is actually going on and i love talking about empowering people and empowering kids but the reason i call this session this interview keeping kids safe is it is our parental responsibility to be aware of what's going on and to ask questions like to the teachers, what are you teaching in sex ed? Like, don't just look at the website because the website, as Elizabeth said, is the glossy cover letter. You need to actually find out and ask questions, maybe go to the board meetings, whatever you can do. Let's talk a little bit. You talked about the hypersexualization of children. We talked about the lowering of the age or the maps. And then you've mentioned a little bit about transgender because a lot of this is overlapping. There's a big push I see at the moment, not just internationally, but in New Zealand for inclusivity and people to express who they truly are. And I'm all about both of those things. I'm all about it. But what I'm not all about is young, vulnerable people, especially those people that have possibly been traumatized and are seeking a sense of belonging and community to be highly pressured to make a life-changing decision about their sexual orientation and possibly to go and take medication to make that a reality before they're ready. Can you comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, in in the past, I worked with autistic children for a number of years. Um, Autistic children are actually um, showing up to be incredibly vulnerable, anyone on the spectrum, incredibly vulnerable to this movement. Some of it might be because they fall under the category of that, needing to find a, a space for themselves also with the autistic mind they they think differently they don't have the same sort of re- regulations in, in their thinking um, and so they can fall prey and victim to um to things that other kids might think that's not that's not okay they don't necessarily see things so clearly and so black and white um, and so those kids that can be really really vulnerable to this and, and we're seeing a lot of that in the results um in the stats is is that you know, those kids are, are falling to this. But but also children who are uh, body dysphoria is a big thing. You know, you're hating who you are as a person. You're hating what you look like. You want to change what you are. That Finding that acceptance in society. Um, the rainbow community has been very big on, obviously, accepting everybody. Um, the irony there, though, is that those who have detransitioned 
are receiving at the receiving end of a lot of hate. So they're only loving and accepting you while you're one of them. If you're not one of them, then I'm afraid it's not a lot of love. Um, and, and that's a big thing, though, is that kids at that vulnerable stage in the teen years, particularly um, incredibly vulnerable in, in school and peer pressure. And then there's also the kids who are the whatever's the latest fad, trad kind of thing. Those kids often jump on to it's currently a thing, it's currently a trend, everybody's doing it, they just go with roll along with the same balls. And so, you know, it's it really covers quite a lot of kids and, and it takes a very, very strong kid to say, that's not me and I don't want to be a part of that. And And that's one of the things I want to touch on for the parents is, you know, you wouldn't say, you wouldn't take your kids, this is a metaphor, by the way, you wouldn't have your kids watch a couple of episodes of um, Man Versus Wild, right? And say, right, now I'm going to dump you in the desert and you're going to live there for three years and, and you've watched Man Versus Wild, off you go. I know that you're a strong kid, you, you love that show, you'll be fine. It's a little bit like that in the schools because if we look at the curriculum and what's coming through from the UN, it's from the age of four up to 18. That's 14 years of indoctrination of how many hours a day, five days a week at school. The parents aren't going to have a, sh- a, a chance in hell of undoing the indoctrination if it's so embedded into the school curriculum, which it is. As I said before, it's in science, it's in maths, it's everywhere. It's not just a little health class. It's They're, they're really infusing it into every part of the school And by indoctrination, just again, another term that some people may have heard, but may not be aware of everything from thinking, you know, being told, you know, doctors know best and do what you're told and like, like listen to authority and is like, what else? Can you give some examples so people know what we're talking about? Well, (laughs) indoctrination, I guess people trust their teachers, right? We trust that the teacher slash the government who, who gives the authority for the teachers to teach what they do, that this is all being done in a professional manner. It's all been done. If we if you actually go back and have a look at some of the people that are writing up the curriculum for this stuff, um, they're not they're not teacher trained. Um, there's a particular person, Chanel, I think his name is. Uh, this guy, um, he's an influencer and he's been brought through the youth um, parliament and, and he, he's a guy who's, He's got a very colourful sexual background, which he posts all over the all over his social media. Uh, this guy has helped write the agenda for the Rainbow Groups and for the school curriculum that's all, all been brought through today. Uh, he's not someone who's got any experience working with trauma children or just children. He's not someone who's been a teacher. He doesn't understand what that is. You know, I think we have to be really careful about just accepting what is happening and, and ask some questions, you know, and, and do some digging, do some research, have a look, um, make some calls yourself, what, what you think, what you think is acceptable and what's not. And, and, and dig a little deeper for yourself because it's not just what's happening today. It's what's going to be the flow on effect for your child. And as I said, if you start them at four, what's the flow on effect of a child who's been sexualized their whole life. And as I pointed out before, you know, they're talking about having a sexual partner at nine years of age. I mean, wow, what's the flow on effect of that for kids, you know, having secret loves? And and I've been soft on what I've given you today. Some of this content that's coming through, and um, one of the first countries is is the Netherlands, which is um, implementing this into the classrooms at the moment. 
is actually masturbation in class. I kid you not. The children are actually encouraged to choose another partner in the classroom to uh, fiddle with each other's private parts and then learn how to masturbate during class time. Now, this is, I think, at eight years of age. That's massively alarming. And, and what's even more alarming is we think, well, that's overseas in the Netherlands. But I had a conversation with a grandfather the other day and his best friend, who's also a grandfather, the eight-year-old child came home and told her grandfather that they were learning to masturbate in class. Now, I'm not sure if they were just learning about that visually or they were actually enacting that in class. This is in a country school in New Zealand, an eight-year-old. And you you start to think about the impact of that on their relationships going forward, the quality of the, and their self, um, you know, they're, they're valuing themselves. It's, it is tragic. It is so tragic. I wanted to also talk about um, the reality of, you know, in, in, this is what I've heard in New Zealand, 12 year olds can get puberty blockers or possibly an abortion without their parents knowing. Is this true? This is absolutely true. Yeah. So really frightening, but a number of years ago, um, there was a mother that came out and it made the news. This poor woman was actually going to court because she was so horrified and unfortunately the judge didn't didn't give her the credence that she deserved but she was so horrified her child at 15 or 16 years of age was taken by the school counselor and this is all legal uh, because these law changes have slipped in um, you know in the quiet of night that we don't know about her child her daughter was taken to have an abortion during school time by the school counselor the parents never knew until the child was beside herself what's in that may have been suicidal I'm not sure um but but they didn't find out until her child was in a really bad mental health way um and the parents weren't able to offer support for the child at any point because they weren't notified the school is uh, legally not obliged to notify the parents and the same thing goes also now for the whole puberty blockers and the transitioning so at the moment your child can be affirmed in the school. They can go to the school counsellor and they are affirming them. And that is a part of what is expected from them. This is now their job. Mm-hmm. So if I turned up and I was 12 and I said to my school counsellor, uh, I mean, I was a tomboy at 12. Let's be honest, I was a real tomboy. And if I turned up and said, hey, I feel like a tomboy, they'd say, you know, what do you want your pronouns to be? And I'd be like, oh, him, he fine so you can change your name at school I say well I want to be known as Samuel Samuel Jackson you can change everything you can change your pronouns your name but then it progresses from there then it progresses to hey maybe you'd like to consider transitioning maybe you like consider puberty blockers so all of that stuff now can be done through the school counselor during school time again no parental notification they can take your your child down the road to transition them without your knowledge And I'm not sure if it goes as far as taking your child to a clinic for the full-on surgery, um, but that potentially is where it's at. So could you imagine your child one day as a girl wearing dresses because they're hiding, hiding what they're doing at school from you because this is how it works? At school, you have a secret life. And I kid you not, that is in the, in the actual school inclusivity agenda. Um, so they're a secret life at school. They're one thing at home. They're another. They come home one day and they've had a full double mastectomy. They can also have, yeah, private part reconstruction. So they can have penises made with pumps 
and um, and and vaginal reconstruction if they're a boy. So there's a whole lot of really graphic things that are happening. I presume they get a hysterectomy with that. I mean, we're talking about the long-term effects of your child here. These are these are things you can't reverse. Once you've chopped your bits off, you've affected your fertility for life. So even going into the puberty blockers. So I've got a bit of information about the puberty blockers, if I can find it here. But puberty blockers in themselves are absolutely frightening. Um, puberty blockers, you know, they're harmful effects. They're not being talked about. We've got, you know, just just for, for a start, they stunt the height. Uh, they can cause osteoporosis. They erode your fertility. They will tell you they're reversible. They are not reversible. Um Cross-sex hormones are completely irreversible. Side effects, severe joint pain. There's even known to be children that have ended up at, at young young ages over in the States where they've been on um, the hormones and they've actually developed osteoarthritis and they've ended up in wheelchairs. Fit, healthy kids in wheelchairs at a young age. Uh, so compromised immune systems. I don't know what that potentially looks like, but I've had a compromised immune system in the past and, um, yeah, it was pretty debilitating and a lot of days in bed for me and very, very ill. Uh, arthritis, as I mentioned before, it affects the pituitary gland, does not allow the estrogen to restart once you come off the puberty blockers. So once you've really stunted your um, your development, you can't just come off the minute and it starts. You can actually basically completely arrest your ability to go through puberty. So you may remain the 12-year-old boy for the rest of your life uh, or, or the little kid for the rest of your life because you're not going to develop all those things potentially, and that, that is frightening. And then, if, of course, on the other side, you can go into the synthetic uh, hormones. Um, once you're on the synthetic hormones, they themselves are... Um, not considered to be particularly safe long-term. Um, I know I, I read a book about a man who transitioned uh, in his 40s, I believe it was. Now, this man actually had a premature life, so he the stress of all the hormones on his body meant that he died. Now, we talk about these things as being modern, but actually this guy was taking the um, cross-hormone therapy in the 70s. Uh, it was a sort of a bit of an underground movement amongst uh, the transvestites back then. Um, and he, he'd had the surgery, uh, and he called himself a eunuch, a eunuch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't have they can't have the sexual pleasure that full-bodied people can have. Um, a a blow-up penis with a pump is not going to give you the enjoyment that you would have otherwise, um, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And and yeah, these are just it's it's really concerning. I mean, they talk about things like shriveled-up penises and and I, I wonder about, I haven't been able to find it. It's very difficult to find some of the information here. But I'm wondering about what happens to the internal sexual organs of a female if they're on this. And does that shrivel up, uh, you know, your fallopian tubes and, and all your sexual organs so that you'll never be able to have children? And that is the long-term effect mm. here. Yeah. The sterilization, the lack of ability to have a pleasing sexual intimate relationship in the future are some of the effects and and this whole thing is is absolutely frightening. I think a lot of people will be listening and be quite blown away, freaked out a little bit by that because when it comes under the guise of inclusion and it comes under the guise of um, 
being who you are. And, but it's, I think people are being sold a, a silver, a magic pill, a silver bullet in a way. I know you're sad and depressed, but guess what? You are actually meant to be a woman. So trans transition and life will be great. And, and it's not so much. And what you're detailing is a lot of body medical side effects, not to mention the financial pressure of, of all that. So it's, we're basically looking at lifetime customers for prescription medication with yeah. not countless side effects. Um, but also obviously people that have transitioned, they are not able to have children and that loops us back to, so do, do you, is this what you're saying is that there's this connection between that intention or that goal, the agenda, um, and then back to the agenda 2030, which is all around sustainability, which is related to decreasing the population? Well, that's a, that's a big pill to swallow. I, I don't want to answer that because I don't know for sure. That's not what I've been looking at, but goodness, I'd hate to think that they're focusing on that by this means, that's absolutely horrendous, but perhaps we can't close the door on that. Um, touching back on some of the things that you've said, you talked about the finances. They actually make, through this Lupin, which is which is the company, uh, the drug for putting these sex change, you know, the children that want the sex change onto this Lupin, it's a, it's a $1.3 million US industry per child. You know, it's big, big pharmac business. Big money, big money to be made. So every child, 1.3 million that that pharmac company make. You know, we we want to be looking seriously at um, who's really profiting here. Is the child profiting? Is the family profiting? Or is somebody else profiting? And then, of course, the surgeries. What does it cost to have surgery like that? That's extremely expensive. We know that um, one family uh, ha has come out and, and told me that their child was going to get fast-tracked through ACC for the surgery. She was 15 or 16 years of age, and that's in New Zealand here, fast-tracked for um, a double mastectomy and, and a, a full reconstructive surgery to become a boy at such a young age. And I was talking to my son. He's at university. So university is, is not dropping the ball on this. This is really – it's a big push in unis as well. Mm -hmm. Um and he was saying, you know, a lot of my friends want to transition, mom. And I said, God, they're going to never be able to have children, love, if they if they go through this process. And he said, mom, they're 18. They don't want kids. Isn't that right? Did you want kids at 18? I didn't want kids at 18. You know, something that 20-something, 20, 20 you know, happily married in, in, in my 20s, I was like, actually, I really want kids now. I didn't want them before. But you hit a clucky moment, and I'm so grateful that I was able to have three children, um, three healthy babies. And I would hate to think that anybody loses that choice, you know. It should be a choice later in life when you're ready to make a decision whether you have kids or not, not a choice that's taken away from you because you made an uninformed decision. And I'll be very clear on this. Um, I've been, you know, doing a lot of research on the transitioners and the detransitioners of late. And a lot of them are saying that when they're taken through the process as kids, they're not talked about the fertility. They're not talked about the fact that they can't, you know, backtrack this or that they can't have children. Those things are never raised. So they're not even making really informed decisions here. They're making kind of a, this will make you happy. And on that note, this will make you happy. You know, we really fed this whole live. Do you want an alive Tim or a, or a, a, a dead Susan? Um, because the kids are feeling suicidal. Well, mm. statistically, statistically, most kids that are feeling a little bit upset and are feeling a bit suicidal, whatever, they actually don't go through with that. It's, it's not common. But what is common is the massive increase of suicide and, and, and 
talk of suicide post the operation. So if they're feeling a little bit suicidal beforehand, then you're actually dealing with some form of trauma or, or wellness issue that needs to be dealt with, which is actually potentially quite separate from the transitioning. And what you're having after the transitioning has processes happened is a really huge amount of um, mental health issues. And that's what the experts are coming in and saying is there's a massive increased risk of actually suicide of going through the process. So get the help your child needs, Mm -hmm. but bear in mind that your child, if you leave them out and amongst the wolves, they'll probably get bitten in some shape or form. They might not go the whole hog, but it's going to have an effect on their mental health and their wellness and their their view on, uh, on sex. Because sex is not there as like some kind of tool for for adults to take at at their whim. You know, it's supposed to be this beautiful thing between two people who love each other. And um, and, and we want to keep it that way so that if people want to do other things in their own bedroom and their secret later in life, you know, uh, that's their choice. But for children, let's just keep it that, you know, your mum and dad love you. We love you as you are. You know, you're going to find someone one day who loves you for who you are and they're going to respect you for who you are. And you don't need to change to be somebody else to receive that love and that recognition. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a really it's a really empowering thing to know that you belong in a lo- in a, and are loved in your community, in your school, in your home. And I think that's a value we need to really put at the front here of, of what we're doing as parents and community. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, okay, we've covered a lot of really heavy stuff today. So thank you for those listening that are still listening. Um, if we are very keen to hear from you, if you've got um, questions or you know personal experience or other concerns around the topic of keeping kids safe, um, it's 2057 is the text number. If you want to text into us, um, let us know if anything resonated for you. If you were um, or have you heard about these things, but you didn't believe that they were happening in, in New Zealand? They are. You can also email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Uh, we're going to go to the four questions that I ask every guest, and then I'll give Elizabeth to add anything else she she wants to squeeze in before we wrap up. Um, so, Elizabeth, um, just share with us one um, experience or something that you've done in the past year where you truly upped your brave. Oh, thank you, Natalie. Um, I, I got to speak um, to the... Um, to the submissions panel um, select committee for three waters, which is something that I was really passionate about um, early on and hoping that we wouldn't see the three waters um, go through as it has. Um, and what to, what came of that is that there was an organised group in my community that had a couple of hundred people from the community come to a public meeting and their main speaker for three waters pulled out and they knew I'd done the submission that heard me so they contacted me and said, look, would you like to do um, a talk on three waters? I was like, oh, my goodness, this is huge. Um, but by the grace of God, it went really well. And I was able to impart that knowledge. I was also able to, I must give um, some credit to the Taxpayers Union because I contacted them and worked with their research assistant and really fine-tuned what was happening behind the scenes in the council's boat as well. And, and that was a really empowering thing to to be able to, you know, give a really, take the lid off it and really expose what's really been going on behind the scenes in, in that Three Waters area. Well, that's, I mean, that's awesome. Good on you for upping your brave and doing that. 
And also because obviously three waters impacts the future for our children. So we're trying to keep them safe and keep the resources safe. Um, let's talk about the bucket list, which is what is one thing on your bucket list that the Up Your Brave Reality Check Radio community can possibly help you to, to do, be, or experience in your lifetime. Thanks. Um, one thing that I'm really passionate right now is obviously protecting our kids. And if every parent who listens to the show can share this and discuss it with others. We absolutely need to see the sex ed curriculum in New Zealand schools reversed. And I mean, even as far back as the kindergartens, um, we we need to be fully transparent. It, it needs to be fully transparent to every parent in New Zealand. Our children do not belong to the state. And it is our right as parents to dictate to the schools what's appropriate, not the other way around. Uh, no child of any age should be taught about masturbation, anal or oral sex. This is blatant grooming and it's disgusting and it's criminal. And so that's something that I would just love to see New Zealanders get in behind and support this. Definitely. And well, how maybe this leads on. How can they do that? How can they support if they're really highly concerned about what they've heard today? Obviously, they can go to their own kids school um maybe they don't even have kids and they're all they're still very concerned how can they how can they um how can they make a difference do you have any contacts either with you or with a different organization yeah thank you absolutely um so i have got a list here of solutions um these are because i, I think that we need to be solutions focused yes and exactly we, we we hear all the problems but what can we do about it that's a real big thing for me um so so firstly um, I want to say a safe place. Um, have an agreed safe place that your kid can go to if they feel overwhelmed at school or unsafe for any reason. Um, it might be that they go to their peers. It might be they go to the local library or a cafe uh, while they wait for you. And with that, there could be just a code word. that They text you a code word which just tells you, I've left class I'm going to be at the library, mum, pick me up when you're ready. Um, I feel really vulnerable right now. And and because we don't we don't really know what the kids are going through and it could be a bullying issue, it could be they feeling, because um, everybody's got these gender-neutral toilets now. And one thing that concerns me is that you'll get some dominant 17 or 18-year-old boy confronting a 13-year-old girl in this toilet, you know. And if your kid's exposed to that or feeling endangered in that environment, they need, they need to be able to get out of there. They're doing that at my child's school. Yeah, it's everywhere now. Well, it's my it's my boy's school, but if my daughter went to that school, I'd be banging on the door. But maybe I should be banging on the door, even though. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. Um, two kids desire a sense of belonging. We need to make an effort to find them uh, group spaces which they can feel empowered to be them in. It might be that they join a, a local youth group, girl guides, the scouts, boys or girls rally cadets which is kind of the quasi-military training for kids or hobby groups it's lots of fun but it's bringing about that sense of belonging to something and finding like-minded people that they can share their life journey with um three as a parent you have the right to make a complaint about teacher misconduct firstly to the school the principal and the board of trustees and you can follow the school's complaints policy because every school should have one Unresolved complaints can then go to the educationcouncil.org.nz slash content slash reporting concern. Remember, you as the parent have the right for this. And, you know, I'll give you an example of what happened recently. Um, this is third-hand information, not 100% sure about the details, but what I'd heard was 
a rainbow teacher in a local school sent nude pictures to all of her students. Now, that is exactly the kind of example in which you would want to make a teacher misconduct complaint. Number four, homeschool during Pride Week, which is during June the 12th to the 16th. If you're concerned about any of the stuff that content that we've talked about today, then this is this is an opportunity to pull your child out because I kid you not, there's been some really heavy propaganda pushed during the Pride Week. Um, I heard about an example in a school uh, not so far from me, a high school in which the Pride Week they used the assembly to for boys to come out as drag queens on the show and it was their coming out ceremony. Uh, I don't know how old those boys are, but that's pretty horrendous. Uh, five, create a culture of love and acceptance um, a group of friends and I are currently designing a T-shirt. It's going to be a not-for-profit. There will be no profit made on this T-shirt. It's going to be hashtag, I love you just the way you are. We want people to buy the T-shirt just to wear it to encourage others around them, you know, to see that message, promote that message. We love you the way you are, you know, exactly how you are, how you've come out, how you've been made in this world, who you are, what you are. I think that's really such an important message for, for our kids of today. If they're going to search that hashtag, so is it hashtag I heart you just the way you are? Like a, yeah. an emoji of a heart, not love. Okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, we haven't designed it yet. We're in that process. Um, in terms of hopefully, Natalie, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know when it's designed and you'll be able to, you know, promote that and tell people where yeah. to find it. Um, there might be a link somewhere. We haven't we haven't got to that point yet of having a place to go and source that, but yep, keep keep watching this space. Uh, number six, be empowered to write to your school. Um, I write to my school at the beginning of every year for all of my children. I tag in all of their teachers. I ask them. I send it to one person and I say, "Can you tag in all of their teachers, the principal, and the school board?" I asked to have my child removed from all the sex ed, sex ed curriculum, the gender ideology, and when any rainbow community groups are present. Because for me, that information is stuff I want to teach my kid about my way at home. I don't want the class, I don't want the school to have the right to teach whatever they feel is okay. Because right now I don't feel that it's okay. Seven. Write to the Board of Trustees Secretary and ask for a speaking slot at the next board meeting and that you wish to speak about the health curriculum. Do some research and take along support. You don't have to know everything, even if you just take notes off this interview today. That would be enough to just say, I'm not happy, I'm concerned, there are issues here. I'd like the school to address this because I don't think this is the direction that the school should be taking. That's enough. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have spent hours and hours researching this. As a parent, you have a right to voice a concern to the Board of Trustees. Eight, every two years, the schools are required to invite parents to a meeting to help decide what's appropriate for the sex ed curriculum in that school. Ask your principal and get to that meeting. You know, take the grandparents along, take the you know, wider, wider community, if you've got people who are involved in raising your child, take them along as well. It's important that we all understand as a community what's really going on in the school and where that school is at with this policy. It might be that the school says, well, 
you know, we're not 100% with this policy anyway. And if the parents say no, that gives us the grounds to pull some of the stuff out. Yeah, because they're getting the pressure from the Ministry of Education to put it in. So if we can say, well, actually, we don't want it, it gives them the, the, the chance to, to say to the Ministry of Education, it's not going to it's not going to fly here. And that's and that's what we need to do. I mean, listen to this yeah. episode. We, we are what I'm, my intention with this is just to raise awareness for people that think that oh, I've heard things overseas. I don't think it's happening here. Well, it is happening here. And what can you do about it? Because I think our kids will thank us later. Yeah, absolutely. And probably one more thing is I wouldn't maybe want to see too many people use the school counsellors if the school counsellors are in a position to take your child to, you know, gender clinics or abortion clinics during school time. If your child needs counselling, perhaps search for that counselling outside of the school and make sure that it's with a counsellor that you're happy with. Uh, someone that has your values at heart and respects your wishes. Um, you know, our kids need to know that that we love them unconditionally and that we're there for them. And there will be times where, you know, it, that's hard. It's hard having teenagers, let's be honest. But, you know, we need to embrace that that journey with its ups and downs and, and let the kids know that we've all been there. We've all had that time in our life where we weren't happy with ourselves and we wanted to change things, you know, Ride that journey with them, voice voice a bit of your life and a bit of your hurts and your past history and, and let your kids know that it's a time we, we all go through it and we come out the other end and life has ups and downs, but you got to have the downs so that the ups look magnificent, right? And and I think it's, you know, embedding, we talk about resilience, but really embedding that, that self-love because that's where resilience comes from. It doesn't come from affirmations from other people as much as it comes from the inside of you because then when things go wrong, the affirmations die off quickly. You know, people want to feel that even when things are hard or somebody's hurt their feelings, they still know that they are loved and valued as a person on the inside and that there's always a safe place at home. Thank you so much, Natalie, for having me on the show. What an amazing way to wrap things up. I think that's so that's so beautiful and so, so true. Um, thank you so much. It's amazing to talk to you. Uh, is there anything else you want to just finish up with before we go? I think we've pretty much covered everything, but I just want to say thumbs up, parents, for getting through to the end of this episode. Um, it's pretty grueling, the information that we've put on here, and I just want to applaud you and a pat on the back. I know that times are tough right now and we fully understand that uh, with the cost of living crisis, you know, we're, we're getting swamped with other other areas in our life which is stressful and then having teenagers on top of that can be a little bit. But take the time out. Fun can be free. You know, when I was a kid, we just rode our BMXs. My mum used to take us on picnics. You know, it didn't cost anything. We didn't have any money. We, we did Ealing. We flew kites. We just got out and did family stuff, you know, spend time with your kids now. It's precious. They leave home at 18. You know, my oldest has just gone to uni. You know, you don't get another chance to be a parent when your kids leave home. So make every little moment a treasured moment and, and be the best parent you can within your limitations. Accept that perfection is not achievable. Uh, and just remember, try and strive for everything to come from the heart and in love um, and genuine love and and don't we we have to be careful we don't hate on those who uh, we feel are taking our children away into another direction they need love too because those people that's the journey that's why they're there is because they've 
their journey has in life has led them to make those decisions and they need to know that they're loved. You know, we can love the person without necessarily loving the direction that they're going. Um, and it's important that we, we try and remember that and we separate the what they're doing from the person that they they are or, or strive to be. Um, yeah, so I just I just hope that we can we can see some wins here in the schools and we can protect those kids from from what's coming through. Oh, so amazing. We'll end on that. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.